Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Special, special episode. Last episode, we talked about Finally. how popular we, we were. <laughs> now we've got one of the cool kids at the table with us. I mean, all the kids Aww. are cool, but like, <laughs> all the kids are cool that come around the table, but this, this grown-ass kid... <laughs> Not so kid. This grown ass, amazing ass woman is joining us here for our show today. I need you guys to brace yourself. If you are an avid listener uh, to podcasts about the industry, then you might have heard of a small podcast called We Are Next. I don't know. Is it? It's like is not it even small, small anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You've like blown up. It it has kind of I but I'm, <laughs> yeah it's hard to talk on my own podcast so this is gonna be an interesting an interesting interview or interesting conversation tonight. So we have Natalie Kim with us, <laughs> super welcome, excited. Welcome. Natalie, Hi. welcome. Thank you guys to so the mixed much. mixed company table, and hopefully you'll be able to use some of this for the we are next uh, we are next content. Yes, so for sure. I think it's interesting to hear you say that you don't like to talk like you're not used to talking about like your stuff because I'm like that's all I want to know about I know what we have going on I want to know about everything you guys have going on well vice versa I mean I have followed you guys for a while and it's one of those like you follow someone online for so long you feel like you know them Kai and I were talking about this when we first sat down because this is the first time we're meeting in right. person and Simeon and I oh, are meeting really? person Right, and you I guys met earlier. I was like, you're not a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> We've had conversations. <laughs> yeah, is the only person that I've actually met in person. Um, but thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm psyched to be here in person. Yeah, like, talking about, I mean, it's less about talking about the podcast, but just talking about We Are Next in general. It's, feel, it's something that I feel like I should do more of. If like I had a Great publicist, practice. if I had a publicist, they'd be like, you got to get out there more. I know, <laughs> we all need publicists. I you sure with do. the same thing. <laughs> If I had a publisher, like you'd be like, sit your ass down. No more. Just stop. <laughs> it, that's enough. I mean, but with the publicist, it's also like, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Totally. I think you're almost there, though. I definitely Thank feel you. like you're almost there. Thank you. you definitely. If, if no one's reached out, I know a couple people that are looking for more clients. So <laughs> that should definitely that should definitely uh, happen, uh, at least for first quarter next year. This is the only the second podcast I've been on, to put it in perspective. Besides just, your own? No, no. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, every week I'm on a podcast <laughs> on my own. No, I was on Mark Pollard's podcast, which is right. more like strategy specific. Right, right, right. Um, but this is, the, yeah, this is the second podcast I've been a guest. So nice. I'm excited. Thank you. Well, welcome. We've been, I know we've been trying to get this together since February, which literally feels like ages ago, which is probably why this also feels like we've known each other for so long. Totally. Yeah. Because 2018 has been broken into like six years in it within itself. Like every season felt like a year and a half of its own. It's just weird. So February was in 2018. We kind of linked up over the social medias, then over uh, Hangouts, Google Hangouts. Shout out to Google for connecting people <laughs> all over the world. We'd love to get some sponsorship for both of our shows. Yes, <laughs> yes. And now we're here. We're here and we're going to see a lot of each other for the rest of the year. So that's also super cool. Really cool. I'm excited. I've been taking it in quarters. That's how my year's been going. In quarters? In quarters. You got to take it step by step. This this is the this is a lot of steps. <laughs> it <laughs> feels like a lot of steps. Whatever it need, as long as you move forward, right? So it's like, right. As long as I keep moving forward. Well, we can go ahead and get started. Um, 
I guess I don't know if I saw any feedback. You guys see any feedback from folks? No. no. I think I will say. But we appreciate and love all of you. I will say I actually had a moment a while back where I ran into somebody and they were like, "You have a podcast," and I was like, <laughs> "I don't know what you're talking about. Like, who, who are you?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like mixed." Mixed, I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> Did they say hi to you first? <laughs> no, it was like, you have a podcast. And I stopped because I'm like, wait a minute. Like, FBI. Like, I don't, I don't know you. But they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She has, like, a whole podcast. Da, da, da. So I'm like, that's that was a nice moment. I think I think we're getting somewhere, guys. I think people are starting to, that's especially to even too. with, like, We Are Next. Like, people kind of know what we're doing. It's not just for fun after school. Now it's the second job after work <laughs> which is a whole other 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 thing yes all right so with that i feel like we should jump jump into some dope shit ain't shit wrap that up quickly and then get into the good stuff the good conversation all right um i'll go ahead and start with my rather dope shit i mean last week we talked about uh nike unveiling um that colin kaepernick is the face of their 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign, which also put things into perspective for me because we had that conversation the day before my birthday, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I know. It's me and Nike up. been out here just doing it for the past, th- well, me 31 years, but I was around during the conception of this idea of just just do it. You're speaking history-making I sentences. like to know <laughs> that I was, like, the only campaign that I know, like, the longest campaign I know is Just Do It because I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Who wasn't back in the early 90s? So, like, your Jordans, your Nike, your Nikes, your everything, like, what do you do? You want to be like Michael Jordan? Then just do it. And it's like, well, shit then. <laughs> I guess that's what I have to do. <laughs> it's just it. Um, so anyway, with that, there was an entire unleashing of um, just just general fuckery around the world. You know, a lot of people decided, I'm going to burn the things that I've paid for. Now, I believe that these are the most privileged kind of people out there because I've been poor. And not just like regular poor, like, oh, shoot, I can't get like the most expensive thing on the menu. We can't order lobster. But like, you know, like I got stories from growing up. So I'm not burning shit I pay for. Not now, not ever, not tomorrow. Just not what I'm doing. Doesn't make no sense. I should have made a better decision before I bought it and then I wouldn't be here. So I cannot comprehend burning shit. But folks out there setting their shoes on fire, their socks on fire, T-shirts, baseball caps, sweatsuits. Their house From the vintage sweatsuits, too. And you know them things go for a lot of money in the consignment shops. The little Swisher ones. Like the windbreakers? Yeah, the ones that actually were made in the beginning of the Just Do It campaign. Yeah, yo daddy's daddy's jump man sweatsuit. Anyway, they're going crazy. They're setting the world on fire. And somehow they felt that this was to stick it to Nike. Well, Nike being the multi-billion dollar, million dollar behemoth of a capitalistic um, wizard, if you will, was like, let's capitalize on your misery and your hate and let's turn this into the thing that we'd love to make. And that's creative. So if you actually um, checked social media in the past couple days, you would see that Biden and Kennedy put out a counter burn your products campaign uh, to just help those people out there who are setting their entire lives on fire out of spite. Um, And it's basically a poster that says, how to burn our products safely. Who better to keep you safe? They kept your feet safe for so long, now they wanna keep your whole body safe. 
than Nike than to tell you to always start your fire outside. We don't need you guys out here burning your Air Maxes in your bathtubs. If you learned anything from Lisa Left Eye Lopez, that shit's going to catch fire and bring your house down. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be some dope Air Max. They call it the Burnt Air Max 93. (laughs) There's actually an image floating around with some Air Maxes like that. We might start something new. Right. That's that's definitely going to be the next one. Um, They also instruct you to stand at least five feet from the open flame, which I think is helpful because they're not telling you to, like, run away. They want you to enjoy your fuckery. Like, we really want you to enjoy this, but we just want to caution that you give yourself some space. Also, if you watch This Is Us, smoke inhalation is real. We don't need people out here breaking hearts. Shout out to Jack. My mouth is like open the second time now. What? <laughs> that is exact. Z- Jack was cool until he wasn't, thanks to smoke inhalation. Don't be out here trying to be a hero when you don't need to. Um, third, keep the clothes you are wearing away from the flame. Meaning, don't burn the shirt on your back. Take it off your back first. Light that shit on fire and then stand five feet back. Pretty simple. And then lastly. <laughs> you might be wearing polyester. <laughs> I just really want everybody. To, they really want everybody to be safe, and I do too. Um, and then lastly, it says, once burned, always douse the fire with water. How safe is that? How safe is that? The Campfire 101. What was the little bear back in the day? Smokey. Smokey would be so proud <laughs> in his Nikes. They need oh, a whole. They need a whole image of Smokey out here, <laughs> wearing a Nike sweatshirt or something. But yes, I was quite tickled with this. I'm here for petty. I think this is petty squared. I feel like if you're gonna be about some shit, why not stand behind it by telling your uh, adversaries to fuck off safely? Of course. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Go fuck <laughs> off. Yes. Just do it Agreed. safely. So that's my dope shit. I'm going to piggyback off your dope shit with an ancient um, in the same vein. So uh, this week, or last week, um, a mayor in the state of Louisiana, in the city of Kenner, um, I guess his response to Nike was to ban um, all purchases of Nike from all booster clubs. I'll actually just read his memorandum because I think it's, it's fuckery. So effective immediately, all purchases made by any booster club operating at any Kenner recreation facility for wearing apparel, shoes, athletic equipment, or any athletic product must be approved by the director of parks and recreation or his designee. Under no circumstances will any Nike product or any product with the Nike logo be purchased for use or delivery at any city Kenner recreation facility. I think this is bullshit, but I also enjoy it because I really, I think the thing about this that's like really getting me excited is that Nike knew what they were doing when they released it with Colin Kaepernick, and I know they probably had a good chuckle knowing that people were going to, more more specifically, conservative or um, the right-wing people were going to react um, crazy to this. And so to watch this dude, again, also kind of go in the same vein as people who are burning their shit is hilarious, but he gets the my ain't shit this week. And then piggybacking off of that, the dope shit is that Nike's sales have gone up like double digits in the last couple of days based off all of this. So it's a double shit. 
that I'm putting out this week. They got so much money from the media, like impact. Yeah. That was crazy. That was like 163 million or something like that worth of like media coverage and footage and Im- like impressions. Like it's that. a good campaign. Whoever was the strategist behind that and the creatives, I, I hope they get a nice little. Bonus. I think like when you st- when you put at work, and it's great, you don't really know the impact. Like I don't think they like would. And uh, think of know. someone burning their stuff and they burning their houses. I enjoyed when someone's house burned down. I'm that's I'm not they proud had of it, to know but that. I'm very happy. I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I th- I think they had to know, especially since the NFL season was starting back up, and the people are still talking about the kneeling, which is like I feel like it's almost two years later. Yeah. So they had to know that putting yeah. his face out there would generate some sort of crazy response. And I caught at ESPN. Like I don't watch the sports. So the, 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 <laughs> the sports, the sports. <laughs> the sports. <laughs> I don't watch sports. Only, only like Florida State football, and then I'm like, even that I'm kind of superstitious about. But I was watching ESPN, some show on there, and the, one of the sub headlines was like, "The NFL didn't know that the Nike campaign was coming out." And I was like, "Why would another corporation tell another corporation that they're coming out with a campaign?" Why would they? Care? I mean, no technically, sense. technically, if this was like a friendly manner, they would have consulted them. They okay. they absolutely would have consulted them. I don't believe – well, there's many things. Colin Kaepernick does not play for an NFL team right now. Yeah. There is absolutely True. no reason to consult them. And unlike basketball players who have a lot more ownership over their own brands, football players are actually tied to more strict contracts where they do have to get approval from uh, the league uh. before they can gain endorsements. I wish you saw my Instagram story because I really did not know. This would have been very helpful. You're welcome. I, I told you don't watch sports. I'm sorry because you don't watch the I sports. I don't watch the sports. <laughs> right. I um, mean, I, I, I don't think it matters, but because they still have that eight-year partnership, so Nike's still going to get make money off the NFL. I mean, they're making money now, and yeah. they made money off of your burnt like jerseys and you know shirts and socks and ripped up socks. They already got your money. Like, Nike it's already done. Cheap. <laughs> Nike jerseys are not cheap. So that, that's definitely like uh, sh- somebody showcasing their privilege because that's, that's a lot of money to burn. I want to see someone burn some Nike women's leggings because those are not cheap even on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're gone. I, I, I mean, my thing is like I wonder what it would be like if we lived in a world where you would burn like – cars of like sexual harassers or like people that you know what i'm saying like shit that like you got the whole mayor up in arms about some socks he's big mad about some like shoes that you done bought from like what is it uh what coles <laughs> <laughs> you know how like you like oh like i don't know like i said when i used to have to have my parents take me shopping and i would want to get the cool nikes they weren't trying to take me to the foot lockers and the whatever what is the foot actions of the world. No, no, no. We're going to go to the clearance section at the damn Kohl's, the Kmart, whatever the hell they have. But, like, it just – this just shows me where people's priorities are. Mm. Like, your priorities are so superficial that you want to go that far for that. But when people actually need you to take a deeper look, a clearer – a clearer moment of like understanding and like thinking about your thinking, they just won't do it. You won't do it. So yeah. shout out to everybody. I mean, well, I don't care. Burn your damn shoes. They got your money. Like 
Oh, you're gonna do like you could have given it away. I think somebody was like they could have given this away to like all of the veterans, veterans yeah. that yeah. they figured that True. would probably benefit. You know, like ain't nobody worried about you. You ain't going to heaven for this, so it's fine. I, I mean, too. ultimately, it feels like they hate black people more than they than a Nike thing. Uh, yeah, like it's like it's, show me your race, yeah. how racist you can possibly be. Like you're showing people your racism through your actions. Yeah. That oh, well. actually, I have two dope. Well, dope. To aim, so I don't. I don't know. Let's go. Go ahead and be great. <laughs> Just do it. So on the sports line, um, a cartoonist, uh, his handle on Instagram is Night, like as in Dark Knight, um, cartoons, and he did this political cartoon of Serena Williams, a character of Serena Williams as a baby, giving having a tantrum, um, and then in the background painting Naomi Osaka as a blonde white woman in the back talking to the ref and the ref is telling her can you just let her win (laughs) mad rude (laughs) I guess this would be a really bad time for me to also say in my head that I was I too was thinking as I watched the results of the games like I guess it would have been wrong if she just let her win (laughs) (laughs) I I guess that's not exactly what we're asking for here but can't can't say I didn't think about it but yes yes that is terrible it was a poor representation, not only of Serena Williams, but Naomi Osaka, like, as well. Well, she has and blonde ends. Is it really that she has blonde This is hair? a blonde, like white blonde. woman in She's the picture. She's full blonde. Yeah. That is full blonde. That is Yeah, it's that is not anatomically woman. correct at all. Mm-mm. Oh. Super wrong. He was at a, yeah, I tried. God damn it, I did. I did. I really did. I tried. I did. I'm sorry. Like, Here's, all with everybody, like, someone made a good point. If it had been a man, we all know, like, would it, would they, would Serena Williams be tr- fined the 17K? Would this be shown as poor sportsmanship? Like, would all this happen had she be a white man? I, I think somebody brought up that example that whoever, I don't follow tennis, but um, the other dude who's like the leading tennis dude in tennis, like, he was screaming at the ref like the day before, like, not necessarily yeah. saying what Serena was saying, but he was screaming at him. I think he called him a thief or something like that. So, you know, the comparison is there. Like, and it was like in a very short amount of time where they can see the difference in how the dude was treated for raising his voice or, you know, showing emotion and how she was treated when she showed emotion. It's, and yeah, and it gives us the, the point of view, like, you know, when men defend their point or they don't agree and it's shown as passionate, it's deemed more positively than a woman where it's like comes off either bitchy or too aggressive or being emotional, like clear representation of that visually and I guess like in sound. I think so. So one of the things, and, and let me know what you guys think. One of the things that came to mind is that I don't necessarily think, I don't necessarily think that the difference is in what they do. Like a lot of people are focusing on like, men get angry too, yes we know. I think it's how sensitive the ref responds to her being angry. Whether it is him being fearful, because we have this whole idea of people now they fear for their lives. Whether he felt that she, he was going to show her, no matter how much of an amazing athlete people think she is, that he's in charge here. You see what I'm saying? Whereas I feel like sometimes when people receive the same negative response from 
other people that may or may not look like them. Like, I don't even think it's just that, oh, if it was a man, he would have been okay. No, I think that if it was another woman that he respected, it also would have been okay. I think it's, and you have to be careful with athletes and entertainers and people of a certain stature. Like, the disrespect that they receive or the feedback that they that they receive from people is far beyond just she's a black woman. In Serena's case, there's also the idea that oh you think oh you think you're better than me. So now she has to deal with that. Like she's no longer a human playing tennis. She's this Goliath where he probably was feeling like I'm David. Oh, you sending th- thumbs up signals and shit? Like dude, she's not in a gang. Like, it's not that serious. Like, we were all get. I was giving her thumbs up and, sh- and shit and calling her best friend. I ain't never met the woman, but, like, <laughs> it was. it's always really exciting to watch Serena play, especially live. So I feel like there's an element of that that we're not discussing, that that was somebody that what I took from him is that he clearly wanted to bring her down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more than just her being a black woman. I think that's too easy. I think it's more about her being someone that he doesn't think is that good. He didn't think she deserved what she has. And I think that's why he called her out or tried to call her out for cheating because he was looking for a way to to show, like, you're no better than anybody else. And then on top of it, oh, you want to yell? Like, I can't just take your point? I think that's the point that he was trying to make. And, sure, there's a... There is a lot of it that probably has to do with race, but I feel like that is so unconscious for him that he wouldn't even be able to follow that point himself. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's probably some parts of it, but I wish I knew tennis very well to say, okay, to be more objective of, like, if that, like, if the call, the degree of the call. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, what I heard was that there were things like whether or not the coach, I think the her coach said I was kind of doing the hand motions. But what I read is that that the coaching rule usually doesn't get called out. Like coaches still kind of like do little hand signals and usually refs don't call it out or the refs will give you a warning and say, hey, like cut that out exactly. before actually penalizing you. And that's where I think people are, are taking issue that, um, yeah, maybe – she did violate some rules. There are a lot of rules in tennis, but yes, God, there are. It's so <laughs> they were. I was. It was just a lot. So they they can't be coached during the game. Yeah, you're not supposed to be coached during a match. Apparently, it, at that level, I guess when it's like for the U.S. Open in the finals. I don't know. And so yeah, so it's more the issue. And I think there were going back to what we we're saying about like men versus women. I agree. I don't think it's it's so black and white. But there were a lot of. Um, male tennis stars from today and then back in the day also who were tweeting like I've done like much worse and said much worse and smashed my racket and I've only gotten warnings and was never actually penalized yeah because I mean and I feel like I feel like even with our experience like working within agencies and working in corporate if you've had the lack there of luxury um People respond differently to beha- to different behaviors from different people. True. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if I feel like you're cool with me and I'm out here like, bitch, I'm probably going to take that from a Karina or Natalie or even a Simeon because I know you. 
than a random ass person in Never a meeting you talking about you haven't <laughs> <laughs> you haven't to your credit you haven't i can't think of a moment where you have but it's much different than somebody in a meeting whom i don't have a rapport with and even more specifically that i don't like mm-hmm. being like <laughs> bitch <laughs> like you're just like wait a minute <laughs> so there's that aspect to it then there's the other aspect of just and I, I and I don't know this, but it felt like hate. Like I feel I feel like to have some to find that one person in the whole entire stadium that wasn't cheering for Serena Williams, which is probably the umpire, like call her out for something like that. There's a level of well, damn. Like you, everybody else would let that call go, you know. So I feel like there's so much more context. But I do appreciate. I think where we miss is that she's the one that called it out. Like. As a person here trying to stand up for women's rights, that's why I don't fuck with it. Like, it wasn't necessarily that the media came out and were like, oh, he's a racist. It's kind of like she was like, mm, this is why I don't like what he did. And for me, I thought that was clear. I also liked that she was hugging up on Naomi. Listen, when I heard yeah. Naomi won, I was like, well, at least it was her. <laughs> was, at least it was her. Ain't nobody else more deserving, child. Like, and she's young and she's got a lot more time ahead of her. Like, you know, it was a nice moment but, to see that. Yeah. yeah, folks is gonna hate on Serena. I told y'all she's superwoman. I don't know if you've seen her, Natalie, in person. I haven't seen her. Most in people haven't. I've, I've been fortunate <laughs> this year. Last week was a very fortunate week, but she's remarkable. So, it's not lost on her. We still got the we still got what French Open coming up or whatever. Like, okay, can't wear she can't wear her, her superwoman suit, but oh. she got a whole bunch of tutus. She'd be alright. That was so badass. <laughs> when she came out listen in, in that. I mean she had already like kind of won the open without like having to win the open just by <laughs> stepping out like that your campaign comes out the same week that you make it to the finals like girl she ain't stressed. we are well, you ain't really mad you was just in a whole Beyonce video a couple years you ain't really mad you're She's not mad it's true so Natalie, do you have anything you'd like to share? We'd love for you to participate. I do. I have some dope shit. Um, And that is the fact that Les Moonves is out at CBS, finally, after more women step forward um, with allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment. So I feel like it was coming. Like, once, like, six, I mean, the first round was, like, six women who came forward publicly. When you're up to that number already, I mean... Like, more are going to come out. It's just a matter Lord of time. So um, I'm happy to see that. CBS also uh, donated a lot. Like, I don't, I don't even remember. What it was $10 million? Like, a lot of money to um, – it wasn't directly to Time's Up, but it was, like, towards, um, like, fighting sexual harassment. And um, and they said that it would come out of whatever severance amount that Les got, <laughs> <laughs> which is already going to be – I mean, it's going to be an astronomical sum, so it's not going to be – it's going to be a drop in the bucket for him, but at least there's, like, a little bit, at least on on a signal level. It's like, okay. Enough for him to be to feel poor and for, like, the rest of us to be like, shit, I can live off this for these I know, years. right? <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting, right? Like, we're talking – when we talk about Me Too, when we talk about – how many women have to come forward to say, like even in real life, like, you know, I don't know how many people have had, like, I don't know what your stories are, but if you've ever had to come to the table and say that somebody has physically disrespected you, specifically sexually, Mm -hmm. 
no one ever believes you when you say it the first time. They're like, are you sure? Yeah. Very true. Positive. But like, so you need like a hundred women to come out to prove that one man or to, to get people to cast uh, a doubt that one man would, you know, sexually harass you or abuse you or whatever. But it takes one man to say he slept with you to turn you into a complete whore. Like the whole world, like one man can say that they've slept with you and it's like, oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> Have you seen her? And then it's like one woman comes forward like, oh, you know, he inappropriately touched me. I really didn't appreciate him. Rubbing his whole hand up my whole thigh after I told him to stop. And they're like, was it a whole hand? Did it, did he really touch your belt? Was he like reaching yeah. for a seatbelt? Are you sure? Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I feel like we still we see the stereotypes, and we see the contra like the, we see the contradiction like the way people are contradicting themselves. And even to your point, like oh we're gonna take away his severance. Is that even enough? Like, how about we just fire him? Like regular people get fired when they do things that are harmful to their coworkers. I don't know. I'm assuming he's made investments. We can't touch what's in, what's in his Roth IRA. He should be okay to live off that, right? No? Oh, yeah. He'll be just oh, yeah. fine. He'll be fine. Yeah. I, I have a question, though, because I was talking to uh, a woman last week who was being sexually harassed by another woman at work. Okay. And she also went through the the burden of it having to happen multiple times before they took her seriously before they they fired this woman so i i wonder if it's just a man thing or it's really like a corporate we protect who's ever who who's ever is at the top or whoever we feel is more valuable it's that women are seen as sexual objects so therefore if you are being touched teased or taunted in a sexual way society deems that as your purpose so why are you bitching about it even if it's in the case of, women, of a, woman a woman touching a woman. a woman, like, like no one looks at a woman and says, oh, dear God, no one look, no one touch. <laughs> you literally look at women and it's like, oh, yeah, everybody look, everybody touch. So, like, it, it has nothing to do. I don't think it has a lot to do with patriarchy, but it may not necessarily have to do a lot with just men. And as this patriarchal society as most societies are, has already designed or uh, given women the destiny of you are here put on this earth for sexual pleasure. Therefore, why would you even, like, why are you even telling, so what they touched your thigh? But I also agree with the fact that, just in the, in the idea of HR and company, that if the someone is in a higher level than you, then you have a lot to prove against a complaint. I, I believe that does take a like a play in a part, especially power. Yeah, yeah I it's really more really do. To let someone go at that yeah. level versus like an intern or someone at the junior level. Right, yeah. and I think we've talked about this. I mean, I don't want to lessen the point and the 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 experience of these women, but we do talk about in past episodes like when you have a complaint, it's better for you to come in as a group as a unit than just one person to show that this person who's causing this problem is a problem and that it's affecting the workplace it's yeah. layered it's yeah it's a, and it's not even a good kind of layered cake it's not even the kind anybody really wants to eat it's just a whole layered bunch of mess that you have to comb through but there's a lot 
there's a lot in it and I'm almost concerned that if this time next year if people will even care because I'm mean, even starting to feel like even with this story that came out like are we numb to it like is there going to be a time very soon where these men just stop getting fired because again it's kind of like all right we know or start coming back or start coming like back right yeah. right yeah right I, I think it's more and going like the episode of a few weeks ago when you were talking about why people need to be canceled i feel like that's kind of it right so when you really i didn't say why people need to be canceled don't that's not what i said no, like, i said that we need escape we need somebody needs to get thrown under the bus yes to like things. really to really have an example of like somebody getting thrown on, under the bus and the bus backing up and running back over them um and part of it is because you don't want them to come back, right? Like, they, how do you know that this person, like, really learned their lesson until they've really suffered? Especially when you're at the top, like, what does suffering even look like? So if you're talking about the Les Moonves, whatever, um, his suffering is getting fired. He's still a millionaire. He still has money in the bank. This Him getting fired isn't really going to change his life all that much. I think it's just interesting. We talked about this off the air, and on one last point before we get to our main topic, that his wife works for the company, like, and she plays a part of putting people, like, on the show, on the talk, and, like, she has that power. So the fact that she didn't show up for the episode where they reported the story, it's kind of funny. Because who knows what she has to deal with when she gets goes home. Yeah. Like, imagine all the, yes, she works for the company, but imagine the implications that has for her and her career obviously for her and her marriage do they have children do we know i don't know i'm not sure additional family members like assuming her parents are still with us she has to go home and tell her mom and her dad yeah this is the man i married and whether it's in defense of him or in completely like being ashamed of being associated with him like that's also a burden she has to carry too I wouldn't have showed up for that show either. I don't feel like talking about it with y'all. I have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot I need to discuss with him, and I cannot discuss it with you first. Like that's it. True. That's it. All right. Well, this is the world we live in. So much fun happening in the media and communications. <laughs> all these ad campaigns and all these execs. Just all just just a lots of fuckery just happening every day. Thank God for it. Um. Gonna go ahead and move into our topic, our hot topic. And our hot topic is Miss Natalie Kim and we are next. Like literally, I'm so happy to have you here. Like I don't even know how, how much I can like continue to say it without like gagging on my own self. Like girl, relax. But welcome again. Thank you. Again. <laughs> so I mean Working on the podcast, we've been doing this for, what, two and a half, three years, three years at this point, I think, Um, and we know the hardship that it has taken for us to kind of set this up and get to even where we are now, which is, in our minds, nowhere, but, like, so much further than it was before. What, tell us about the beginnings of We Are Next. Tell us about from the time that you were actually in the agency world and how you got to this idea of you know what? I don't really need to be here anymore. Let me uh, figure out a new path. Yeah, so a lot of people think that Where Next is just the podcast. And Where Next actually started with something else, something larger. So I was working as director of strategy at Firstborn in New York City. And in that role, I was doing a lot of guest lecturing. So getting invited 
to schools to talk with students about getting into the industry, what it's like, um, obstacles, etc. And I would go to all these different programs and it didn't matter like what kind of program it was, whether it was like an advertising undergraduate program or, you know, like a journalism, media, marketing, something kind of tangential with like very little resources. It didn't matter across the board. Like students were so freaked out and confused and full of self-doubt when they thought about getting into advertising and marketing. And when I stepped back and thought, okay, like, why is this happening? And, and, you know, you remember yourself too, like when you're getting in, there's just like a lot from the outside that you right. can't really It's intimidating. See. It is intimidating. Totally. And it's one of those industries that's not like medicine. It's not like there's a clear path to get you to a certain title or a position. Um, everyone comes in from different backgrounds. Right. Um, and has different paths into the industry. And so, and what we create, I think, that we call advertising these days, like it, it, it's always it's changing. It's so different than it was maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. Where it was TV and print. Totally. And maybe some radio ads, right? And it'll continue to evolve. And so I, I saw that side of it. And then I looked at the industry and I was like, okay, what is available to students just starting out in junior talent? What resources are there? And outside of some really amazing one-on-one -on -one mentorship programs on the local level, on the national level, shout out to MAPE. Yeah. Um, there wasn't really that much that could scale to benefit everyone. So like one-on-one -on -one mentorship programs serve a really amazing purpose, right? but they're inherently limited by the number of people who can be mentors, how much time they have, if mentees are like within a geographic location, like there's all these limiting factors. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like there was just nothing no resource out there that was really open to anyone, no matter where they went to school, what they had access to, what sort of resources they had, whether it was financial or time or, or whatever. Um, and so that's really where the idea for We Are Next just as a entity started. Mm -hmm. Like, let's create a resource that um, is open to everyone that can help students make the transition from what they learn in school to the experience of, you know, getting their first job and really finding their footing in in the industry and so it started as a weekly newsletter actually which still exists to this day it's called the weekly email um and um it still goes out I basically started taking some of the questions that I was getting from students right. and just publishing the answers through the email mm -hmm. um from some like frequently asked because I would get you know similar questions everywhere I went so that's where it started about two years ago now and then it wasn't until August of last year that the podcast started and it was really an evolution from I used to do these like Facebook live mm -hmm, events mm -hmm. like conversations with people at agencies yeah. which were good in theory I think where like I was like everyone will tune in live like you can comment and like interact with us like in person but or in the moment but it was just so hard with scheduling like you would hype it up and then someone would be like, I have to reschedule. Like your guests would say that because yep, they're yeah, busy and then you're like, shit, like I have to like totally retool this. So I, I started um, using that audio as some of the initial podcast episodes and then just fully like went into, it was so much easier to like pre-record yep, and yep. be able to like edit a little bit on the back end. Um, so yeah, that's really where the podcast was born. The idea was really just, can we have larger, conversations, longer conversations, more in depth with people about how they got into the industry, what they struggled with, um, and just pick people's brain for, for advice. And, you know, representation is super important to me. And I try to reflect that within We Are Next in terms of the type of guests, the, the people we bring on both the podcast and the weekly newsletter, which we bring on guest writers all the time, making sure that 
from a background, racial, gender, um, their role, their level, where they are in the country, that we're really hitting a lot of ecstasy. So people can, one, see themselves in the industry, and two, um, just get guidance from from someone that has their shared experience right you know hopefully try to normalize like what diversity like in the industry really looks like so that if young talent goes into the industry and are like doesn't look like this that they can hold you know where they work and the industry accountable for that what i like i was interested here is your like evolution into like the podcast and I mean, we've gone through our own evolution. If you've been a long time listener, you can literally listen to the evolution. <laughs> um, but that's really interesting. You came in from MAPE and we always, we've mentioned the differences that um, from coming from a diversity and inclusion program versus coming into the industry not through a program. So as someone who was a MAPER, what, did you find any like pitfalls and struggles like during your career, well, your early career? That's another misconception. I actually didn't come through MAPE, oh. though I'm very involved with MAPE now, just as a coach, and, and just uh, we've partnered on a couple of pieces of content, but I actually didn't come through MAPE. It was one of those really sad things that when I was advanced in my career, I was like, wait, there's a thing <laughs> called I MAPE. I feel like the same thing. That's, that's, we were just and like... they're like, we've been around for 45 years. I was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> sure. No, I got in... Um, man, so I graduated from UCLA. They don't have an undergraduate advertising program so I did mass communication studies which is sort of the closest thing I could get my hands on I did do the national student advertising competition through the AAF which mm -hmm. I know a lot of people also do um, and that was really like my portfolio other than um, an internship I interned at Deutsch when I was in school in, in Los Angeles and when I got out I I ended up getting my first job through a distant connection of mine um, and it was a really small agency that was just just starting up I got in on the account management side and really quickly realized that that wasn't the role for me and move over to strategy but I mean I think back to I, I don't even know how I got started honestly <laughs> I mean it was and I started again I started a very small shop that probably no one heard of at the time um, it got bought by a couple other agencies now so it doesn't even exist like as it was back then but I I'm a lot of times when I'm creating content from where for we are next a lot of it is stuff that I feel like I would have found right. like super helpful and I get that response from people in the industry as well saying um you know, oh, I wish we were next to something that existed when, when I was young. And I was like, yep, me too. <laughs> because I honestly, I mean, I honestly don't know. Like, I was shit at networking. Girl. It was, yeah. I haven't always been this outgoing. <laughs> so I have a question. Do you feel like the the advice that, that people get from We Are Next is um, black and white? Because I also feel like now I look back to how I got in and the struggles that the barriers that I had to like jump over to get in uh, a few years ago. And I feel like those barriers have now like changed. Yeah. So what do you feel like entry level people are experiencing now to get into the industry? Because there's still the, you know, if you didn't go to an advertising school, that's well known. That's, that's a hurdle for you. If you didn't get into a MAPE or a LeGrand or, you know, mm -hmm. any of the other, um, advertising internship programs that's a hurdle for you so like what what are entry-level people see experiencing now when they're trying to get into the door because i feel like now it's getting 
even more competitive. It's almost like trying to get a record deal because the the pool is so congested and everyone's trying to get in at the same time. So, like, what's the the biggest hurdles that you that you're hearing from entry level people? Yeah, it's definitely not black and white, which is why we try to bring in as many perspectives as possible um, from all levels, knowing that people who are just on the other side of getting a job now probably have the most relevant advice. Like, yeah, you can talk with someone who's like 20 plus years into their career at the C-suite and that's great. It's really inspirational. But like for the actual like real talk, like how do you, what steps do you take? What can you do to actually break into the industry? Um, It's, it's totally different. I would say the hurdles that, that I see now, a lot of it stems from the fact that, um, there are so many more options in terms of types of agencies, types of roles, um, different sides of the industry that you can go into, but the way that it's taught in universities, it's still very much your traditional agency model. Like Isn't usually that upsetting though. Like that's was that I think that was something I resented my school yeah. for, like when I got into the workforce and I was like Yeah. Y'all lied. Everybody's it, using Wikipedia. Everybody <laughs> tweets at work. That's literally their job. And y'all didn't teach me none of this shit. And like, here I am looking dumb. And they're like, you're supposed to know. Like, that's yeah. super frustrating. Yeah, I just think that there's more. It's not that it's easy to get into the industry, not no. by any means. I think some of the competition that we feel, the intense competition that we feel, stems from the fact that everyone's trying to get a creative role at the five agencies that they see on, you know, ad age or that's winning all the awards at Cannes. And that's well and good, but obviously there's a limit to the number of people those agencies are going to take. And they might not even be the best places for you to start your career. And so part of it is education around, like, what what really are your options? Outside of being a creative strategist and account manager, outside of New York and L.A. or San Francisco even or Chicago, like, where are these um, smaller but amazing markets that you can have an amazing career in and I think in that way um, it can help I mean again advertising will always be competitive but um, I think at least it helps people just and it's not about settling it's about broadening your horizon in terms of like what's possible I think the other thing that I hear a lot of is translating what you've done in the past from a completely related field or background. Not everyone goes to school for advertising. Like you said, how do you translate that into the transferable skills? Yeah. Right? The, the value add skills within the walls of an agency. And we talk so much about diversity of thought that you're bringing to the table, new ideas on the surface. We say we want that, but I think students and, and young talent are having to do the work themselves in terms of making those connections. Like, if I read that you are, I was talking with someone this morning and she said she hired in the past like a salmon fisher. Like I might not be able to make that connection, how that's going to be valuable. But if you pulled something out, you know, for me, and if you understand the role that you're, you know, trying to land right. and can make that connection and talk really passionately about salmon fishing, amazing. You know what I mean? That's, I think, what, because you're trying to overcome the hurdle, and I talk with people about this all the time, the hurdle of, Agencies saying that they want diversity, but then seeing five resumes and from a business perspective, like, why wouldn't you pick the most, per- the person who's the most qualified, who was, right. who went to advertising school, like all that stuff. Like one, I think I'm going to, this is rambling, but one, I think we have to reframe internships and like the role of internships oh, yes. overall in general. But, but two, like on the, on the students end, on the candidates end, 
helping them, teaching them how to take some of those things that they did in the past and translate it. And that involves making them aware of some of the soft skills that are needed, which I think are more evergreen than right. than the things that um, you know the I industry as it evolves. A lot of times, a, a lot of times in the hiring process, like everyone always says that they want diversity, but they also say, "Oh, I want somebody that can just jump into the work," because you're never actually. Rarely are you hiring for a future role. Right. You're always hiring for a role that you needed filled in six weeks ago. So at this point, like there's a lot of pressure. And I feel like, to your point, this idea of restructuring internships is super, super, super important because the reality is what you think you want to do at 19, 20 years old is probably sometimes, not often, but sometimes it's not actually the thing that you find out like you're really, really good at because, to your point, nobody really talks to you about soft skills. So even when I try to sell myself in interviews or as I speak to people, like I like to say that I am a soft skill person. Like my soft skills are my strongest skills. And that's because they're very malleable. That's because they are transferable in different environments and allow me to connect with a lot of people that I genu generally would not find a connection with. Um, but if I were to say, yeah, I'm the best timesheet setter upper and I'm out here and I can do a scope in 10 minutes which I can <laughs> I don't necessarily I think that people would probably find that most useful but then on the back end you then I then have to somehow like reconcile the culture aspect like I sold or you you brought me into this organization because I'm good at my job but do we even bang with each other like that like are we even cool like am I comfortable here mm -hmm. You know, so I think that there's, for companies, like there's this opportunity to retain more talent on their end if they pay attention to, let's talk about dating, the inside of what a person has to offer instead of what who they are on the surface side or on their resume. So I think that that's a really good point that you bring up. I want to, um, I want to give you the opportunity, if you so choose to take it, to ask us some questions. I feel like we talk all the time and it's kind of like, yeah podcaster to podcaster yeah like, what's your take on mixed company I'd love to flip the script and interview you guys no I mean what I respect about mixed company is that I mean you're so much more loose in your conversation in like the best best way and this I is how we this is the only the way we can commit the the no because and I know you, you've gotten this in your feedback because I was listening to the last few episodes that people feel like they're just hanging with a couple friends um, outside of work. And I think that kind of conversation is so needed because, and I know you guys know this because that's why you started the podcast, but so many of these conversations that need to be had are had behind closed doors. And then when they do come to the forefront, they're done in this way that is very structured and very stiff and people just don't want to engage with it. So I, so, and the fact that you guys do it out and have full-time jobs is amazing. And I really respect you for that. I, I, what I would want to ask you guys is how you think that you want to evolve mixed company as you continue to move forward i mean you've already been around for like you said a few years now no, that's two and like a half, three an years. eternity in agency life <laughs> yeah right like i'm ready for a vp position at mixed company <laughs> but yeah how do you see whether it's just like the conversations or 
the podcast itself. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Ooh, this question. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 like it's a real question, question, but it's like definitely. Like a job question. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a question that we get, that we've been receiving most frequently these days yeah. um, because we have visibly grown. And I think each of us have a different perspective on what we want to see from the podcast. But I can definitely say, like, we got into this under the pretense that we wanted to be a voice or be heard, not just be a voice, but to be heard on behalf of people that have felt so unheard for a long time. And for many of us working in corporate circles and working within the agency world, like, you know what it's like to feel like the only one, like the weird one, like some, I can't get along with anybody on my team or in my agency and I don't know why and this is what I'm experiencing. And you feel gaslit, you feel crazy. And to to meet each other and have conversations where we're like, oh shit, maybe we're not crazy. And then to recognize that there are other people that we don't even know that also listen and now they don't feel crazy because they're experiencing it. I think that's super powerful because sometimes you have to validate yourself. And I think with the podcast, we started validating ourselves and in turn that started validating the voice that we represent. So. I think a continuation of that on a macro scale mm-hmm. is definitely a di- one of the directions we want to go. I think to piggyback off that, this year has been that. I mean, we wanted to have these conversations in, in hopes that people higher higher levels and positions than us would listen and ha- have impact. And I think we've just broken that scale, especially with this. Well, by the time you hear this episode, it'll be past event. Um, that we're reaching the C-suite and people are, are saying like, I'm glad you have the podcast. And it's hearing that live feedback that we have that impact is a very validating feeling. And it's also like, oh, you know, well, we're not the only ones that listen to our own stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's, we're breaking that, that ceiling that we thought we had. And I really feel like, especially with this year, we're cracking that open and, I mean, just continue with that, especially from a con- well, content perspective, like continuing that and see where that takes us. That's I try to be as open and as I can. Sponsorship. We want to record in a studio so we don't have to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking we we're talking about our setups before. We have different setups for our podcast. Right. This is a humble, humble, it's humble very setup. Humble. Yeah. Um, so it's, minim- more, it's, it's more it's technically minimalist. savvy than me, I feel like, because you guys actually have like individual microphones for everybody. This is the no one can see us, but we're right. all holding yeah. microphones to our, fa- for our faces. We're not embarrassed that we like are holding these podcasts. I was <laughs> never embarrassed we were holding this podcast. <laughs> I no, was. It, feels right. le- it feels legit. <laughs> it does I feel like legit, it. doesn't it? Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. Sometimes it takes years to be validated, but you listen. You've done put a word on the table because there I are like some people. Moment. Right, he wants the Instagrammable moment. So he was like, it's not real if you don't have headphones. And I'm like, child, you better get this microphone and talk into this joint and let's record this shit and keep going. This is how we're able to commit. I mean, that's so much of podcasting, I feel like, like just starting, which is I tell, I mean, I get a lot of questions. I'm sure you guys do too, like mm-hmm. about starting podcasts and stuff. And I feel like it's so, the barrier to entry is so much lower now, which is wonderful, yeah. um, which is why we have so many great podcasts popping up, even just for our industry. Because I feel like even five years ago, it was like, just don't get me started yep. out of Green exactly. Circus, yeah. and that was it. Um, I would say for me, um, it's to be more hands-on and take the content that we're creating and bringing it to life. 
Um, I think it's a really, I think part of me is a little, it's ins- I'm still inspired, but I'm, I'm a little frustrated. And I think it's coming from the fact that I was one of those people who was like networking for years and going to panels like multiple times a week when diversity was hot a couple years ago. Um, and so now when I go to events or I listen to other podcasts, I kind of question if we're just talking to ourselves, mm-hmm. even though I know we're reaching uh, leadership. Um, but I, I'm in the state of mind where I feel like we should be able to measure the impact that we're having at this point, um, especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion, because we're in an industry that, you know, especially now it's built on strategy and measurement. Like yep. this is how you win awards. You you create something and you go and you present the impact that it had. So yep. um, I'm, I'm looking for more opportunities for us to create programming that um, we can take into agencies, like with the event that we're doing, um, so that the it's not just talk like we're able to kind of I don't want to say force people's hands but guide them in the way that we wish someone had guided the cultures at the agencies that we worked at and I think it really takes um, people like us who we have a filter but we don't have a filter um, to be in the room sitting at the table with people who respect the perspective that we bring to the table and actually want to bring the solutions that we put on the table to life and guys are like in it i mean you guys are like in Mm -hmm. it so and i think that's also really important to like what we've been doing actually i didn't realize that other people didn't have full-time jobs like not to say people don't have full-time jobs but other people like weren't in the agencies um i think i think it might i think kat gordon actually three percent brought it up that she was also impressed that we were working and Judy Jackson, she was like, so do you, <laughs> do you get do money? jobs? Yeah. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, why wouldn't we have jobs? We have rent to pay. It's New York city. But like, and I, I mean, I walked in here venting about my, my damn day, but I don't think that we would have be able to speak on behalf of the people from the ground up if we weren't there with them. And, and a point you made earlier, Natalie, where, the best advice you can get is from somebody that's just recently transitioned. Yeah. So if I'm not actually, there, there will come a, mo- a moment where we probably wouldn't be the best people to give certain pieces, pieces of advice because we've advanced so far, God willing, that is the goal, yeah. right? Yeah. However, for right now, what with what we have, we're literally grinding like every day, like for every time you get side-eyed from a boss, one of us gets side-eyed from a boss. For every time you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from because you're freelancing, one of us knows. You know what I'm saying? So, like, there's that aspect of, like, nothing that we're saying is without recent experience. We're not pulling on a memory. We're pulling on today. Um, And I think that gives a lot of flavor to why we're so passionate and why there's no filter because there's, there's a passion in that. There's an angst. Um, there's a love for it, and there's also this willingness to be like, Dan, this happened to me today. I'd really hate for this to happen to you tomorrow. What can we do to change your experience? Because mine mine is fleeting. Like, this is just how it is right now. I mean, I even feel like shit that happened, like, seven years ago is still, like, fresh, where I get angry thinking about it. Um, Because, and, you know, when I initially didn't want to be on the podcast. I remember when we were putting this together, I was trying to find somebody else. Find the scenes. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that kind of provoked me to 
do it was I remember feeling angry and depressed and I did not want any other people of color to go through that. Um, because when you're, it's, it's very lonely like to be out here in New York City in this competitive industry to be at the beginning of your career and not look around and see anybody who looks like you or anybody who is looking out for you. Um, and I watch people walk away from the industry like very, very early. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't want that to happen to other people. And I think the, the only way to do it is, you know, you talk about representation, yeah. when people understand, and it's not just in advertising, but when people understand that other people are going through the same shit, then you feel less crazy. You feel like somebody gets it and you can go to work and start maybe thinking about solutions as opposed to, damn, I, I suck at this when, you know, there are, there, are, there are other channels, there are other routes for you to take. And I think that's kind of what we, what we bring to the table. And all of us have a different perspective. Karina approaches things differently. Kai approaches it differently. I approach it differently. So I think when people listen, there isn't like this one route to go. Like there's multiple, you know, um, perspectives that they can lean on. I think the idea is, when we first came up with the idea, it was that need. Like, once you get into the entry level, I felt like there was a lot of support, like your first two years, where people were like, very excited that you're here, and they, everybody wants to be your friend, everybody wants to like, take you around the office. not my experience, <laughs> but good for you. But there comes a drop-off, right, where you are in between, and you're moving from entry level to med level mm -hmm. and that's when you see the reality the rose colored glasses are off and shit happens and who do you turn to who do you run to who who can you talk to um and that's when you have these feelings of like not depression but you get burned by work because literally you think something is right or you do something and it may not be right and you wouldn't know that with like a mentor and and, and I think one of the frustrating things when, as I approached the mid-level, beginning of mid-level, because that's where I'm now, mm -hmm. was that finding a mentor. Everyone was like, find a mentor, find a sponsor, find a this, find a that. And it's like, well, cat in hat, like I don't know where to find these fucking people. <laughs> and I would get pissed. And I'm like, I cannot be the only one who's like literally walking through here with a shot in the dark. And, and what's hurtful sometimes is to see others who don't have that experience. Right? They, they're like, oh, I knew this person, they were my mentor, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck is my mentor? Like, where, how'd you find out? Yeah. So I think this podcast does answer those questions sometimes of how and is honest and authentic about those frustrations as well. And I think that's very important for our audience to hear because it brings a space that it's not only you. You're not crazy out here. Do you guys get emails from people we saying? Wish. <laughs> People I talk. You guys, you guys get like, I mean, I've been listening to the feedback. Right. And the yeah. feedback so has been like super we positive. Get, we do get feedback. And I think a lot of people, some people feel more comfortable giving us feedback on Twitter. We'll get yeah. feedback on um, iTunes. We'll see that. No one wants to email, but I also feel like, I also feel like that's a sign of the times. Like, totally. totally. <laughs> I was like, I guess, I guess I don't email people to say shit either. So <laughs> unless I'm at work. And that's extremely formal these days. It's basically like faxing. So what happens with me most of the time is that people send people to me directly. Oh, okay. I'll get a text message on a group chat or 
uh, somebody will email me and they'll send them to me directly. Um, I probably should send them to the podcast, but usually, um, like I had a conversation this morning. Um, a lot of people don't know how to put it into words what they're feeling. Yeah. Like it's it becomes like a therapy session. Like I was on the phone with this dude for like an hour and a half this morning because he was having those feelings that we're that we're talking about right now. Um, so I feel like that's how people tend to, I guess, disconnect with me via the podcast is somebody who's listening who's a friend will probably just, like, shoot an email and say, I think you need to talk to this person. Yeah, that's because the reason I ask is because I feel like what you guys provide would, there would be that emotional connection. Like you said, therapy. Like, that's what I thought of when you guys were talking about it, just Mm -hmm. making people feel like, okay, you're not crazy. Like, other people feel this too. It's not that it's natural, but, you know, like, that your feelings are valid. Or just, like, validating your anger. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like validating and, and confirming a reason to not feel so smiley and peppy, like everybody walk, wants you to walk into the office every day, is super important because you'll walk into a room and everybody is just chipper and they're smiling and meanwhile the world is crashing around you and you're like that shit sucks are y'all fucking kidding me right now (laughs) y'all didn't just see her scream in my face and y'all are asking me what's wrong why do i you know so i think that's super important but um it's nice getting interviewed on the other end (laughs) thank you (laughs) i think it's really important that like both of both of our platforms are out here in the various capacities that we have and obviously you traveling like city to city to like speak to people about your experiences because the reality is we want in order to get more people that look like us that don't look like us into the industry we have to put ourselves out there because the people that were coming to talk to us in college probably probably didn't look like a damn uh she rolled out of bed like I do right now but it's also the people that roll out of bed sometimes that can help to guide you into recognizing that you too can have a career a very uh, gainful career um, no matter how you look as long as you can be of use and that you have insight to to give to the world so thank you Natalie for joining us you're welcome. Um, yes. I'm going to call it an existence. I think you should just do like a like a day lecture at your school and come walking in like Howard, <laughs> cap, I have sweatshirt. A, I, I literally jeans, have a whole sneakers. fantasy about going back to Howard looking like how Dr. Bird said I wasn't supposed to look right. to go to work. Because, listen, You're I had to wrong. take orientation twice. I ain't going to lie. I failed orientation mainly because I didn't show up because it was an 8 o'clock class and oh. I partied really hard my first semester. Um, but yeah, they used to be like, oh, that's, you'll never get a job looking like that with your tattoos. And I'm like, listen, only time I dress up is for the, uh, Christmas party. Okay. That is very important to understand. So yes, let's speak it into existence. Yeah. Lord knows Howard has a lot going on right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just leave that there. But thank you, Natalie, for coming. Um, let us know where we can find all of your platforms. How can people contact you? Yeah, so you can find all of We Are Next resources, including the email, the podcast, also a job. We have a job board that's internship and entry-level roles only that is very popular um, for young talent. Um, it's all at we-r-next.com. 
the website without the dashes was not available. So <laughs> stuck with the dashes. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's at Natalie, the letter Y, and then Kim. Um, it's just my full name with my middle initial. Some people think my name, Natalie, is spelled with a Y because of my handles. I don't know oh, if you guys Oh, no. Someone wrote me an email <laughs> once that was like, Natalie oh. with a Y. And I was like, oh. Oh, I didn't think they that. But now I'm like, I guess, that's n- I guess that's not completely off. Okay. If, they s- if you're coming, I guess, from Twitter or Instagram is the same handle. So okay. I guess people would think. But yeah, it's without the Y. Okay. Cool. Well, um, definitely hit up Natalie, ask her some questions. Definitely listen to the podcast. You are um, accessible on iTunes. Yeah, iTunes, it's pretty much everywhere. Stitcher, awesome. um, Spotify, SoundCloud, I think. Um, but yeah, it comes out every Tuesday. Am I going to? We'll talk about this later. <laughs> well, well, I was going to share this one. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's yep, do let's it. Talk, I was gonna say, we got to talk logistics, <laughs> but I feel like that's not that's not to be on air. It's Sorry, cool. we can cut this. This is like this is such a podcast <laughs> moment. We're gonna talk production. Amazing. Um, but for those of you that don't want to hear about the production side, make sure you take a listen uh, to Mix Company as well, and also to We Are Next. You can find Mix Company on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. You Hell, it. you can call me and we can listen to it on the phone <laughs> at this point. Um, you can also find us on social media on all of the platforms at Ask Mixed Company and visit our website, uh, mixedcompanypodcast.com. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, guys. All right. Peace out. We'll talk to y'all later. Peace out. Bye.